Oh, good evening. Tonight is January 17th, and we are studying the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is step three from How It Works, and our speaker tonight is Dara. Thank you, Dara. Great. Thank you so much. I'm just going to start with a prayer. Um, God, goddess, goddess, spirit of light and love, whatever is up there, out there in me and in all others, please give me the strength and the courage to tell the truth about myself, my disease, um, and spiritual principles that I may act as a light for someone who is still sick and suffering. Amen. Um, so my name is Dara L. I'm a recovered anorexic, bulimic, and compulsive overeater. I live in Philadelphia. Um, and step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to kind of, I was, it was suggested that I um, pick a few like selected passages from how it works and share about those and sort of thread those through my recovery from an eating disorder. Um, and so I'm going to do that. Um, the first sentence that jumped out at me is the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So I don't know about any life because um, I'm not a normie and I don't really fully understand what it is to, <laughs> to be a normie and what the costs are of running their life on self-will. But I can tell you the costs for me of running my life on self-will um, and what that looked like. You know, I was told to talk about what I was like, what happened and what I'm like now whenever I share. And I think there's tremendous value in that. And I'm going to do my best to do that. But I also want to share not just about what I was like, but about what it was like, because my story is a miracle. And the fact that I'm here today is miraculous. Um, so I have been institutionalized at long-term eating disorder treatment facilities 18 times um, in my career as a bulimic and an anorexic Um I think my lowest weight was like 96 pounds. I had seizures. I had... Um, almost lost my colon, almost died numbers of times from this horrible, devastating disease. Um, and so why do I share about that? Because that is where a life run on self-will will get me. You know, I, I am a person who is actually very capable in a lot of areas of my life, you know, very sort of thoughtful and linear, and I can apply you know, <laughs> solutions to problems in my life. And I thought, you know, I developed bulimia at 14 years old. And I thought, you know, first, first off, you know, when I developed bulimia, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the solution to my problems. It was never my problem. Um, I think the real root of my problem was self-centeredness. And I came into this world as a self-centered person thinking that everything revolved around me. Everything was my fault. Everything was my responsibility. As a little kid, I, I was like maybe seven or eight years old. And I came into my mom's room one night and I said, mom, you know, I'm terrified. I'm terrified, terrified, terrified um, of dying. And she's like, well, wh why? Like, what happened? Like, well, you know, why are you so scared? And I said, well, when I die, the whole world's going to go away. I mean, and I literally, I believed that. Like, I thought I was the center of the universe. And I believe that it, at it, seven or eight. And I believed that I'm 38 now. And I still, frankly, believe it sometimes, you know, that I am the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. And so that is highly problematic, right? To live life that way. And, and my life choices reflected that belief system. I thought that I was, you know, there's a saying that addicts are terminally unique. You know, I thought that I was the 
only person that thought how I thought. I thought I was the only person um, that could help myself <laughs> to get the life that I want. And I also thought that the answers to the problem of my inner condition, like that restlessness, that irritability thing that was going on for me all the time, I thought that the problem was something outside of me. I thought, and, and to a certain extent it is, you know, in terms of God, but, but I didn't think about that. I didn't care about anything spiritual. What I thought would make me happy was like having the great job, the great boyfriend, the great girlfriend being, you know, a size two, being a size six, like, well, you know, whatever it was, I thought it was going to be money, power, prestige, anything outside of me, finding the perfect fill in the blank, you know, and that was what was going to make me happy. Um, and so you know, the worst thing that ever happened to me actually um, <laughs> happened to me in, in recovery. And I should share that I came into OA in my 20s. Um, I had two years of solid back-to-back -back abstinence and then relapsed because I, I thought that I was going to get recovery and meet the love of my life. And when that didn't happen, I was like, ah, ah, you know, self will run riot, right? Like, I don't need you people. Oh, he didn't give me what I wanted. I'm done. And I peaced out, um, relapsed, came back, had two more years of solid abstinence, didn't meet the love of my life and was like, F you people, I'm done with OA. Like, why all this service? And I relapsed. Um, came back in again, had two years solid recovery, didn't meet the love of my life. Same pattern. Like I'm done with you. I'm done with OA. The problem with that was I left and it took me three years to pick up the food again. And so why do I share that when I'm talking about self-will run riot? Because in that last five-year stretch of abstinence, um, I should say when I came into OA, my life was horrible. I mentioned I'd been in and out of treatment 18 times. I uh, declared bankruptcy. Like I had nothing. My health was shot, no friends, no family. Like, I mean, my family basically, when I was in treatment the last time, <laughs> um, I told my mom I was gonna come home and get my stuff, come back to Connecticut where she lived and get my stuff and bring it down to Philadelphia where I live now. And she was like, oh no, thank you. You're not welcome here. And she and my sister packed up all my belongings and drove them down to Philadelphia and move them into my play. We're like, do not, like, we don't want you here. You know, you are a danger to yourself and anyone else who, who knows and loves you. And they were right. I mean, I was a train wreck. I was a catastrophe. So anyways, I share about that because that was my first experience um, really getting into recovery for real and coming into OA for real. Um, I, you know, I had nothing and my life was horrible. It's sort of like the story of Jim in the big book, right? Like everything was, was a catastrophe. The last time um, I relapsed was entirely different. It was the story of Fred in the, in the big book. My self-will run riot got me everything I thought I wanted, right? Great job, great body, great life, you know, accolades, attention, applause, all the stuff the big book talks about. Um, I thought I had arrived. And um, shortly before I picked up, for what would end up being a year and three month long bulimic relapse. Um, I had everything, you know, as I said, outside of me, but inside I still felt empty and like I was dying. And a dear friend of mine, his daughter committed suicide. Um, and when he called to tell me about it, my reaction was, I wish I had the courage to do what she did because that's what untreated addiction will get me. And so I picked up the food again and it was my solution. It's only ever been my solution to the problem of the inner unmanageability. 
So I share that um, because, yeah, my life run on self-will can hardly be a success, whether or not things outside of me appear good, right, quote unquote good, because it's the inner stuff that I eat over. It's the inner stuff that drives me to binge, purge, starve, over-exercise, you know, eat until I can't move, all the stuff that I did with food. Um, So once I know that, I mean, I think for me, a huge miracle is that you know, I've had the experience of having nothing and I've had the experience of having everything and I've still eaten over both of those external conditions. And so then what's the problem, right? It has to be the inner unmanageability. It has to be the bedevilments. Um, And what drives all of that? It's the selfishness. It's the self-centeredness. It's the fact that I'm terrified. I'm terrified. The biggest fear is that people if people really knew me, then they wouldn't love me. That's my number one biggest fear, right? And so I don't want anyone to know me. I'm going to lie. I'm going to manipulate. I'm not going to tell the truth. I really thought I was a person who was constitutionally incapable of being honest. I thought like, well, I, I don't want to be honest because if people know what goes on inside my head, you know, they're, they're not going to love me. But then at the same time, I was so desperate to be loved, right? That I was angry. I was so angry at the world because like, F you for not loving me, right? F you, but I'm not going to show you who I am and I'm going to do that. Like I'm going to steal, I'm going to lie, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to, all those things I I have done. Um, And it's crazy, you know, but the big book tells us that like, actually I'm not unique at all, that that's actually the plight of the addict, that, that anyone who has what I have, and I'm not allowed to diagnose anyone else, but anyone who has the disease that I have suffers from selfishness and self-centeredness and is driven by fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's what I was, you know, and I didn't know that that was my problem. I thought that my problem was you. I thought that my problem was all the things I didn't have. I thought my problem was that other people didn't understand it, but I was smart. I got it right. I got that this whole life thing was meaningless and they were all stupid for like showing up and being happy about it. Um, and that's how I felt. But the big, the, the beauty for me of step three is the realization that my problems are basically of my own making, that they arise within me, right out of me. And that I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot. And I don't know it, you know, I don't know it often. <laughs> I'm delusional at the time, but for me, that, that spiritual axiom that like, if I am the source of all of my own dis discontentment. I am the source of every disturbance that exists. And the beauty of that, even though that can feel very disempowering, the beauty of that is that if I am the source of my problem, then I also must be the source of my own solution. And what I love about this meeting is that it's a, 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 you know, a God of our own conception, right? And I introduce my conception of God before I introduce myself, because without that conception, I would still be what I was. I would still be doing what I was doing. I would be lying, cheating, stealing. I would be locked in an institution somewhere. I was told at 20, maybe 24, 25 years old that I either was going to have to live in an institution for the rest of my life or I was going to die by 30. And they were right, you know, without OA, without God, without the ability to practice these principles badly, because I've told you this is my fourth time recovered, right? So like horrible, I've done everything wrong um, in recovery, but without, without this, without, um, you know, at least attempts to turn my will and my life over to the care and protection of a God of my own understanding, I would be dead, you know, whether I was living or not, I would be the the walking dead. Um, And I think that that is really important for someone like me to remember. And it says in the big book, you know, we alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness we must, or it kills us. Um, 
And I think what I want to say for me that has really been essential in being willing to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God is to believe with every ounce of myself that that God wants for me more than I could ever want for me, right? Like I cannot believe in a God of deprivation or restriction. I can't believe in a God that is punishing or harmful or, or even treats me as a child and doesn't care about what I care about, you know, and this is just me and my conception of God. Like if I'm going to turn my will and my life over to, to something, I have to know that's going to do a much better job of keeping me safe than I did. Um, and I really believe in some ways that the problem of addiction is a problem of self-splitting, you know, that as a compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic, all I ever wanted was to feel safe and protected, right? And all I ever wanted was to feel at peace on the inside. And the only way that I knew how to do that was to worship food. You know, that was the only way I knew how to do that. And so for me, a conception of a higher power has to be a step up from that and turning my will in my life. Like I was operating, I had turned my will in my life over to the disease. And that's how I was living. And, you know, and so if I'm going to turn my will and my life over to something else, it has to be greater than the disease. And it has to want for me so much better than I could want for myself. And, and for me, you know, once I can internalize that belief system, suddenly step three doesn't actually feel all that hard. You know, it, it feels like a like an inaction of the promises. It feels like a joy. It feels like a gift. It feels like, um, you know, I want to align my will and my life with the will of God, because I know that, um, you know, what God envisions for my life is so much better than what I could. And I don't mean externally. I think that was a huge problem that I made in the past. It was like, okay, I'll turn my will and my life over to the care and protection of God, because then I'll get, you know, the job, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the what, whatever it is. But, but today, what I know is that, and I shouldn't even say no, but what I've experienced is that um, the externals do matter to me and <laughs> they're largely irrelevant if my internal condition isn't solid and stable and like, and, and I don't feel whole. And, um, you know, before coming back into program at the end of last year, um, and I just, I actually just celebrated a year um, uh, abstinent in this, and I'm also in another fellowship, but I, I refuse, and I should say to, for me with the inaction of step three, like part of the difficulty for me of turning my will on my life over to the care and protection of a higher power and really surrendering was that I also suffered from a sex and love addiction that I was unwilling to get help around. Um, and so what that looked like was partial surrender, right? It looked like I would turn my food over to a sponsor. I would work the steps. I would go to meetings, but then I would leave an OA meeting to go sleep with a stranger. Like I've done that. Right. And I didn't, and I'm sharing about that, not, you know, not to bring an outside issue into that, but because for me, it got in the way of my ability to practice this beautiful step of surrender and love and care. Like I was not acting in accordance with my values or God's values for me. And I couldn't stop 
that cycle. And so, you know, any more than I could stop binging and purging and starving and over-exercising. And so for me, you know, the real exercise of step three is what is blocking me from God? You know, can I, can I discover that and be willing to let that go so that I can have this incredible love affair with the power greater than myself who loves me so much, like God loves me so much, you know, and through God, I've been able to experience me who hated myself can love myself today. Like that is that if I got nothing else out of this program, the fact that I can look myself in the mirror in my own eyes and not feel ashamed, like amazing, given all the stuff I've done, all the people I've hurt, all the things I subjected myself to all the, you know, the violent body treatment, (laughs) you know, like it's amazing for me. It is such, such a gift and such a blessing. And so, you know, I think that the real inaction of step three is that it's in being willing to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, as I understand God, then I move forward with step four and I begin that process of unblocking, right? And identifying all the things that are objectionable and identifying everything that I've done that is making it so that I can't access that God of my own understanding because I feel ashamed, not because God doesn't love me. I mean, I believe that every time I was purging, God was holding my hair back, you know? And every time I would go to bed, wishing and praying that I wouldn't wake up in the morning and wishing I could have the courage to kill myself. God was just like spooning me and crying, you know, and like loving me. I I really, really, really believe um, that God cares, you know? And, and, And so for me, step three is the beginning of me saying, okay, maybe something does love me and maybe something is there that's gonna help me to love myself. And that's going to help me to live up to my own ideals. And that, you know, if I turn my will and my life over to the care and protection of that force, that maybe it's outside of me, maybe it's in me, maybe it's all of the, all of the above, maybe it's in other people, you know, if I turn my will and my life over to, over to that, um, then perhaps I can wade through all the muck that is standing in the way of my ability to see the precious treasure that I am. Um, I'll just share uh, I, I once was in a therapy group, you know, years ago, and the therapist said that she saw her role as a honey dipper. And I don't know if y'all know what that is. I didn't know what that was. Um, but apparently, you know, way back in times of yore, um, there would be like sewer, you know, there would be these people that like waded down into the sewer system and they would find like, the, you know, I don't know, bracelets and rings and jewels that had gotten flushed down the toilet and flushed down the drain. And they would like find these things and they would make a fortune. And I feel like that is what God does with us addicts. It's like, when God like comes in all the crap, you know, and it's just like, let me find this precious treasure that exists. And I can't see the treasure because all I can see is all the crap, you know? Um, and, and for me, like that has been just such a gift of this program is to like, is to just know that God's going to do a better job than I am. And also that, you know, like be, I don't actually think being self-centered in and of itself is a bad thing. It's how I was self-centered because I'm still self-centered today. Like I do a lot of 10 steps, you know, and I look at myself and I, and I examine myself, but the problem with me and active addiction is that my self-examination there was no solution in that. It was just, I just identified the problem, felt more and more ashamed, hated myself, and then binged to take the edge off, right? And today, the way I turn my will and my life over to the care and protection of God is that I, I look at, oh, okay, well, where where am I selfish? Where am I afraid? Where am I self-seeking? You know, 
yeah, like my, my problems are of my own making, but that doesn't make me a bad person. That just makes me a scared person, an uncertain person, a person who can't live without something bigger than me. Um, that's going to come in and support me um, and, and will do for me what I can't do for myself, but will also love me enough to give me free will and agency and the ability to make choices, which, you know, I can't even imagine. I'm not a parent, but I, I can't even imagine what it would be like for a parent to love their child enough to know what was good for them and still like watch them make mistakes. But God has done that for me and just held his, her, it's their arms open and received me with love each and every time I come back. I don't even have to come back that far. I just have to take like half a step and God is right there, uh, ready and willing to embrace me. So, um, certainly feel like I'm about at time, but just the last thing that I want to say, um, is that wherever you are, whoever you are, if you at all relate to the problem of addiction, um, <laughs> that I've identified and the problem of self-centeredness, that there is hope for the hopeless, you know, because I, I have been hopeless many, many times. And through God, I really believe that it is not just possible to reclaim a lost self, but to find a self that was never there. Um, and anyways, I'll pass and thank you so much for letting me share. Wow, thank you so much, Dara. Um, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set the timer for three minutes for each share and announcement when time is and announce when time is up? Um, I think, uh, yeah, it, yeah, so here we go. And first up we have Amy B. Thank you so much, Jana. Thank you so much, Leslie, and everybody doing service at this meeting tonight. Amy B, Recovered Compulsive Very gratefully today, I messed that all up. Dara, thank you so much for your share, for your lead, for your heart tonight. And I just wanna say thank you to the speaker getters for this meeting for bringing for bringing your voice to our community because that was very inspiring and relatable and accessible and gentle and honest and I'm just really I'm just so glad I got to hear you and my internet connection is unstable so I'm going to mute and pass Thank you, Amy. And next we have Liz. Oh, you just disappeared. Liz B, go ahead. Can you hear me? Okay, great. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Liz B, Massachusetts. Um, thank you so much for for that share. That was that was amazing. <laughs> um, and thank you everyone who's for doing service. Um, 
I am just in my first month here in OA for the first time. Um, I am struggling definitely with step three. Um, and I can't stop my brain from trying to like figure it out. What is my higher power? What am I doing? Why is no one talking back to me? Like, I, where's my connection? And, um, you know, I had a slip this weekend and thinking I could go out to dinner with my friends, which was ended in a fiery explosion. So, uh, terrible idea. And it's, you know, it's, it's, um, continuing into, you know, today and yesterday. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm trying to figure that piece out. Like, you know, when I, I hear people say, just work through the steps and I'm, you know, trusting my sponsor too, and taking me through the big book. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> I think I'm still kind of a question mark there and, and still trying to trying to listen to people and, and learn about what this means. And, um, mainly what I'm getting is just the willingness and I have that, but it's just, it's a struggle right now. So, um, I'm happy to hear everybody, um, and their shares. I'm learning a lot. So thank you so much. Thank you, Liz. And next up we have Sherry M. Oh, thank you so much. Um, that was amazing. You know, um, I only ever heard a three minute share and hearing a 20 minute share just rocked my world. I mean, I was in tears. It was just so beautiful. And I actually have a question for you, um, Dara. And that is when you're working with sponsees um, in your share, I heard so much self-acceptance and God's love and, you know, forgiving us through this process of recovery. And what, what would be some good, um, you know, words of wisdom or help for sponsees who just, they cannot stop beating themselves up for either fourth step stuff, or now we're on the amends and they're and the guilt and the shame. Could you give any help with that and what you would, you know, impart from your experience? Thank you. Oh God, thank you so much for that beautiful question. Um, I will say that I'm, I'm grateful that I have the honor of sponsoring in two different fellowships. And so I navigate each a little bit differently. Um, but in OA specifically, I, I really encourage people to get connected with God early and often um, because I think that it's really never too early to find that connection and that conception of a higher power. And my experience is, is that I actually can't, I can't make anyone love themselves any more than I can make myself love, love myself. But what I can do is I can love my sponsees and I can also tell them some of the things that I did that I thought were the most unlovable, um, you know, and they love me. And so that, that is helpful. And I can share with them, you know, I'll, one of the practices that I have is I actually pray in the mirror every morning, it, looking into my own eyes. I say the third step prayer, I say the seventh step prayer, and I say some other prayers. And so if someone is really struggling with um, self-love or self-acceptance, I'll share that as something that has helped me. Um, 
I'll also, I do two-way prayer practice, which I know if someone is on step three or step four, maybe they're not really on step 11, but I'll invite them to experiment with that or invite them to kind of create their own prayers or to pray together, or even just ask them, you know, well, like, what is working for you? When do you have peace? Like, what can we build on? You know, how can we kind of work together? I think one of the things that's gotten lost, and this is just my opinion, but so take it or leave it for what it's worth. But one of the things that I think has gotten lost sometimes is in the mechanics of the 12 steps, we can forget sometimes about the deeper message behind them and the fact that uh, like really it is about just supporting someone in their walk to God. And so I don't believe that that has to look exactly how my walk looked. I can just share my own experience, strength, and hope. And what I can also do, I have a really wide network of recovery friends. And so if someone is going through something that I haven't personally been through, I'll ask them, do you mind if I reach out to someone who I know has been through this and ask if they'll talk to you? You know, like, would you be willing to talk to a recovered person? Because like, if I can share how I love myself, even though I've cheated on every partner I've ever been with, even though I've stolen money, even though I've been declared bankrupt, even though I, you know, I, yeah, all the things I've done, right? I can share them without shame and in self-love, but I haven't done things like been harmful to my children because I don't have kids. I haven't done that. You know, there, there are other things that people have been through that I haven't, and I can, I can refer people to them. So hopefully that's helpful. Thank you. Thank you for the question and thank you for the answer. And next up we have Alexis. Hi, I'm Alexis, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Oh my goodness, that was such a beautiful share. Thank you, Dara, and thank you for everyone who's doing service. Um, Yeah, I just, that inner unmanageability that you talked about and like just hitting on the bedevilments, like I have to be reminded like constantly that like that is my, you know, like that is where I operate if, you know, I'm not looking towards God and, um, I was like typing notes, Um, but yeah, just saying like, you know, like anyone who's an addict, like the selfishness and self-centeredness, like that is, that's where I'm at. But I love how you talked about that as like, you gave grace around that. And um, I think too, like that, yeah, that like just reminds me that like, I'm not all powerful, you know, like I need a power greater than myself. And like, just because I'm selfish and self-centeredness doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I loved that too, because I will so like do a 10 and just like write all the, the reasons that I'm like terrible, you know? And like, it's, I'm not, I don't look to the solution a lot of the time. I'm just like, okay, now moving on to the next thing. Like I did my 10 and now I'm moving on to the next thing. And it's just like, no, honey, you didn't do your full 10 there, you know? Um, yeah. And, and just that idea of like knowing God, like wants so much more for me than I can ever like imagine and like turning my life over to him because like his show is so much better than what I'm going to come up for myself. And like, it's such a concept, but the fact that you said like, um, what did you say? I wrote it here. Um, yeah, like we have to believe that God wants um, for me more than I can imagine, know that God is going to do a much better job at keeping me safe. And just like, that is such like the root of my issue. It's like, I really like, I'm trying to keep myself safe. You know, I, I think, you know, people are after me or like, 
the world's after me and just that constant fear. Um, so I got it. I got to keep up, but it's just, that's just not the case. It's like staying honest, staying present and just turning, turning it over to God and being in the now, like, yeah, it's a constant reminder every single day that, you know, got to take that medicine. Um, so again, thank you so much for your share. It was really wonderful. Thank you, Alexis. And next we have Ann L. Hi, my name is Ann and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, you know, thank everyone that's doing service. And Dara, um, you were so real. Um, reminded me of so many things that I had done. Um, and, um, and that I, I forgave myself, you know, I, I, I was in my disease when I was doing all that. And, um, you know, today I, I am not, you know, I am, I'm as clear as I can be. Um, and I still make mistakes, but you know, God always forgives me no matter what. And, um, you were just spot on for so many things that, um, that I have to look at myself. I, you know, I, whenever I go back to anything, if I struggle, it's because the problem is me. It's not anybody else. It's always me. And, um, and I'm grateful that I was able to hear what you said today. Thank you very much. That's all I've got. Thank you, Ann. I have an announcement. Um, uh, we will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions and shares. With the Zoom host, please stop the recording.